Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Star Family Wisdom Podcast. It's so good to be here with you today. I'm Jenna Layden, the founder of Star Family Wisdom and a former global vice president for Whole Foods Market. And I'm Sinead Willihan, a former educator and social justice activist and the co-host of the Star Family Wisdom Podcast. So Star Family Wisdom is a paradigm-shifting podcast, community, and modern-day mystery school for your spiritual and cosmic evolution. It's been so wonderful to hear from all of you, our listeners who are sharing reflections and comments and experiences on YouTube. We're so glad that our content is helping to create valuable community. Yes, and don't forget to subscribe and like so we can all stay connected. It's been so fun chatting with all of you in the comments. And although Sinead and I only met last year, the journey and experiences that have led us here were very similar. Five years ago, we each had experiences that changed our lives forever. And after years of self-exploration and research, we know that our reality is so much more expansive and beautiful than we used to believe. And last year, we quickly became friends and started having long conversations about our experiences and the expansion of consciousness and the reality of extraterrestrials. And we realized we wanted to share these conversations with you. Because we feel that this is a pivotal time in human evolution. We know that we're not alone on this planet. And we want to share that information because we feel like it's time for the world to know that. So on this podcast, we share information between guests and ourselves through conversation that provide ideas and information to inspire you and support you on this really wild journey of being human. And we explore our untold human origin story, supernatural experiences, lost knowledge from the stars, and spiritual wisdom that empowers you to transform your life for the better. And since we are experiencers of supernatural phenomena and ET contact, it's important to us that we have mature and open and fun conversations about what's happening and how we are evolving as humans. Mm -hmm. And we consider evolution to include all things, woo, magic, mindset, science, spirituality, health and wellness, and most definitely extraterrestrial. So through these conversations, we want to explore how all of these topics that are seemingly separate actually connect to inform the evolution of our human experience. Yeah, so while things get a little far out from time to time, like they will today on the podcast, <laughs> we'll still ground you in the science and the research that we're using to expand our minds <clears throat> and how we've been able to open to the incredible nature of our reality with that information. So if you're watching on YouTube, again, don't forget to like and subscribe so you don't miss any new content. We're publishing two episodes per week. So there's a lot coming out that you can take advantage of and share with your friends. Mm -hmm. um, we know so many people are on a similar journey and want to create community. So bring bring everyone along bring bring them to the podcast and again you can find us on your favorite podcast app as well yes and continue to let us know what resonates with you it's been super fun connecting mm -hmm. and chatting in the comments and on today's episode Sinead actually does a solo interview with James Heenan who we met or Sinead met here in Sedona mm -hmm. about two months ago at a conference and and James is doing a lot of research in kind of the ET contact but paranormal field and has done a lot of work around some high strangeness and energetic activity that's happening in kind of the the desert southwest area of the United States so mm -hmm. I'm super excited about this one you know we haven't done a ton of conversation about 
paranormal activity other than ET types of activity. So this will be fun to mm-hmm. get into some conversation around other high strangeness. It's pretty fascinating. I mean, James is really impressive. I was really struck by his presentation at the Sedona Ascension Conference. That's where I, we first met yeah. him. And it's not that common. Um, you know, one of the things that you and I focus on in this podcast is making sure that we're really grounding our information, right? That it's relatable, that it's based on facts, that it's based on real evidence, real experience. And so James brings what is normally approached as a very kind of spooky, sensationalized topic where with a lot of fear around it, right? right? Regarding Skinwalker Ranch specifically, Blind Frog Ranch, that whole kind of really energetically potent area of the Uinta Basin. That's where he focuses his work. And that's in Utah, right? It's in Utah. And he is, he's just fascinated with this area and many other areas around the world. He actually travels quite a bit to make sure that he's aligning what he finds in this area with the global trends as you and I talked about yeah. in previous episodes. That's but, very cool. I love that he does that. Yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah, like he really knows how to kind of um, make the connections to add validity mm-hmm. and add evidence to our sort of general uncovering gradually yeah. of our human story, right? Our human origin story and yeah. like what's really, where we really came from and what was really going on here yeah. a long time ago. So that's one level of it. It's the ancient history. He looks at that. He looks at the you know, the actual history of the land, the people, he looks at the hieroglyphs and the petroglyphs on, on the walls and analyzes those. Um, so he does all kinds of uh, earth-based research and history research. Cool. But then he's also adding on this layer of looking at the paranormal, the very high level of paranormal right. activity, especially around Skinwalker Ranch and then Blind, Blind Frog Ranch now is gaining more um, traction what the mainstream. What's happening at Blind Frog Ranch? I imagine most people have at least heard of Skinwalker Ranch and have mm-hmm. heard of some of the high strangeness, cattle mutilations and things, you know, mm-hmm. that have happened there, but what's happening at Blind Frog? I'm not even that familiar with Blind Frog. Okay, so Blind Frog, yeah, it's just starting to become more known. So it's a really fascinating story. There's a lot to it, but essentially there's a guy named Dwayne, lovely, gentle man, deeply spiritual, um, who's also a very intelligent guy. Yeah highly educated, doing lots of research himself on this land. He did a presentation at the same conference when I met James about Blind Frog. I was just like, wow. And then James mentioned it in his presentation a little bit later. And I started to see the connections between the Uh two. So they're kind of working together a little bit. So what's happening at Blind Frog is there's a huge amount, both in both um, areas, Skinwalker and Blind Frog, and also just that general area of the Uinta Basin. James and Dwayne are fascinated with the fact that, you know, a lot of our paranormal research up until this day has been with stuff above ground, right. you know, like ghosts people are seeing, um, high UFO, just high strangeness, high strangeness around us above ground. Right. But what they're focusing on is that there seems to be this huge wealth of strange paranormal electric um, energetic activity going on underground. Ooh. And so Dwayne started drilling into the, or excavating the land at Blind Frog Ranch. And one of the things that happened was he started finding very unusually covered earth that was a particular color of blue. And oh, yes. Mm-hmm. You mentioned this, the blue earth. Oh my gosh. I yeah. forgot that was Blind Frog. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And there's like rocks that have that, that kind of tint and it's very unusual and no one can explain why yeah. the soil and the rocks and the land over there is blue. It's this blue color. It just doesn't make any sense. Not to mention that when he started digging a little further down, he discovered there's a huge amount of water underneath that land. And when it got far enough down, not only did water start gushing up, which nobody expected, 
in that area particularly it's just desert right. right it's just pure desert like there's scrub land that's it and these frogs started coming up hundreds and hundreds of frogs started coming up with the water and they were blind and they were very pale they'd obviously never seen light before wow. so they discovered that there's this species of frog living underneath this ground that had been there probably for eons wow been functioning entirely underground and so that led them to the kind of ecosystem that frogs live in and what other kind of life would probably be down there yeah. not to mention james is measuring with Dwayne as well um energetic movement under the ground mm. that is it shows that there's something under there that is moving around under the ground right so i'm sure it makes sense so now this is making me think about like the inner earth stories yes. and the, <laughs> yes. the you know there's all these stories and theories about there you know being civilization that might exist somewhere you know in the caverns and underground systems For that sure. are quite expansive that we know you yes. know and yes. So it makes me wonder if there's some sort of connection there somehow, some way. That would they be. Think that there is. I mean, James thinks that you've got your your book right there, Giants yeah. on Record by <laughs> Jim Vieira and Hugh Newman. James um, has referenced that book and also is very into the whole uh, giants idea because he feels that, like Paul Wallace does, there's a huge amount of evidence, like mm -hmm. actual evidence, oh, that yeah. giants have been on this earth, Absolutely. maybe still are on this earth possibly living inside the earth. I mean, there's so much room in there I for know. beings, right, and civilization. So his work is really about what's happening underneath the ground that we can't see. That's cool. And he's using incredible high-level technology to measure um, electronic signals, you know, energetic signals, energetic movement. There's highly, highly unusual activity going on under there. He's got really high-level people working with him. A lot of it is top secret. He can't tell me a lot of things. Ah, and he mentions that in the cool. interview. Okay. And that's how, that's another reason I got intrigued when I met him at the Sedona Ascension Conference, because I was so struck by how lacking in that fear-based narrative his yeah. presentation was. It was just very calm, very matter-of-fact, yeah. lots of passion and excitement about what he was finding, but it wasn't this usual sensationalized stuff. sensationalized yeah. like the yeah. fear and the yeah. you know there's something malevolent on skinwalker ranch there's no real proof that the, that the yeah. the energy is malevolent right so i love that and then also afterwards i went up to him and i said hey you were showing these two um brain scans you know after certain people that he couldn't name had been to skinwalker ranch and the brain scans were showing evidence of the electronic effect of that the potent energy that was there right? the energetic effect. is that similar to some of the experiences people have had going in some of the sacred sites around yes. the world so like we know that people who have gone in the great pyramid in egypt for instance because of the the energetic um kind of structure of that place the geometry of the pyramid creates this you know resonant frequency that mm -hmm. affects the way people's consciousness operates so yeah. i'm wondering if it's the, like a very similar situation somewhat similar this was partially after um this is one of the things that people think makes them rich scary so the two people whose brain scans had been done that james showed during his presentation i'm pretty sure they were both military high level military okay. people who had gone to um, skinwalker ranch and there this is definitely fact there are a number of people who were military trained former um, high level you know police officers or high level military high level government who were hired upon retirement or upon leaving mm -hmm. their profession 
to work at Skinwalker Ranch yeah. as security to kind of monitor what was going on. There was a huge amount of high-tech equipment around the land. Well, and this happens a lot because these guys and women already have high-level clearance, so they can just kind of continue to operate in that world. Yes, <laughs> and we don't know what's really yeah. going on, right? And people cannot go onto Skinwalker Ranch. Jane can't. He's got clearance. Because he's working with someone who's very high-level, and he can't say who that person is. So if there's a lot of fascinating mystery, but in any case, so going back to the military uh, being on the land previously, this is like a few years ago or 10 years ago, maybe. Um, the, there, were, there was a, fact, a factual story, this is proven, that um, there were four, I think, military men who had been on the land at Skinwalker Ranch and had absolutely terrifying experiences for whatever reason. There's a theory that it's because they were armed, they, were, mm. they appeared to be aggressive, they had huge guns, they had, you know, well, yeah, and, you know, <laughs> that's you what go. possibly is going to come back at you, right? Yeah. So, so who knows why it behaves this way, but they were not killed or, or hurt or anything like that. They were just, it was a major psychological effect and um, whatever occurred to them there followed them home. Mm. So that started affecting them in different ways on a personal level, but also their brain, their neural synapses, their psychology seemed to mm -hmm. be affected. And so that's what was being studied with the brain scans. So I went up to James afterwards and I asked him, are, is these, like, are these brain scans related to that story that I've read about and heard about that I know is fact-based, even though it's somewhat secretive, it's for sure. And he said, I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, are you nodding because that's a yes? Like I'm still sticking to your promise to not say anything, I don't know. But it was, it was kind of interesting. We don't know, we can't say, but. <laughs> yeah, but maybe. So I was intrigued. I was intrigued by, you know, obviously his integrity, right? Yeah. He is really true to keeping confidentiality about what's going on, but also has a nice balance with sharing what yeah. he can share in a very non-fear-based way, in a very peaceful, isn't this fascinating? Look at the real science and the real evidence that is supporting this paranormal activity that I we're seeing. I love that. Yeah. It's a really fantastic approach, yeah. and he's a lovely guy, so it was really nice to talk to him as well. well I'm, so, I'm so excited about this, because I think this this is one of our passions, right? Delivering research, information, uncovering more about our reality, but doing it from a place of we don't have to be fearful about all of these things, right? That there are ways we can maybe begin to understand some of the high strangeness and paranormal things that have been occurring on earth yeah. for a long time. Maybe we can explain them now in a little different way. You know, maybe we're maybe we are evolving in a way where we can now move beyond fear. Yes, I, yeah. I really, really hope so. And I think, you know, there's something about this that it reminded me a little bit of when we talked to Sarah Bressman Cosme, mm -hmm. and she said that at one point she was in a session. I don't remember if it was a client or her who was in a session, the regression session but that um, they had traveled to a past life where she was about to go deeper into the Sphinx and find out more of what's underneath the Sphinx. And the beings that were guiding her were saying, I'm sorry, we can't take you any further. Yeah. This is information that is so important and so potent that humans have to be ready yeah. to receive this kind not of information. Right, not right now. Not yeah. right now. Yeah. And so if there seems to be a little bit of that with this information as well, yeah. that, you know, the beings, for example, the so-called malevolent beings, there's a, there's a growing theory that they, regardless of Skinwalker or Blind Frog or wherever they are in Utah, um, that matches with indigenous wisdom about how there could be a very powerful entity on the land that is actually fiercely protected. A guardian. Guardian. Yeah. What, yeah. Is, what is there? I just got chills when I said guardian. Yeah. 
So, I mean, it's still happening. Yeah, <laughs> always, always. I think So, yeah, so it's just, it's really exciting. I actually just got a little bit of it myself. I'm starting to have them more. Yeah. You're rubbing off on me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's just really exciting. And it really, it opens up so many doors into so many levels of uncovering this. You know, like the paranormal aspect, the fear, psychological aspect, which is so much a part of our transition. Yeah. Addressing fear and moving through it in order to see the truth of what's there. Yeah. And trying to understand the paranormal, you know, without just assuming it's something spooky yeah. or out to get yeah. us, that it's trying to communicate yeah. in some way. And we need to learn to listen to its language. I love that. And I think that that connects to what I was just thinking about in regards to, you know, it would be a cool experiment to visit this land, but from a place of asking the guardian permission to come and commune with the land and commune with the energy that's there to learn more. Yeah. Right. Because I, I, I have a feeling so much of, you know, our, our human kind of approach to these things has been, let's go study it and research it rather than this different approach, which we take mm -hmm. in a lot of our practice, which is Let's befriend the yeah. energy that's around us. Let's get to know the guardians of this earth and the guardian, the nature and, you know, animal spirit guardians mm -hmm. and, and, a and ask permission to access certain information, certain spaces and, mm -hmm. and have them take us on the initiation process rather than approaching it from this purely scientific research base. We both believe there's a place for both, but yes. but I think that would be such a fun approach and we should maybe share in you know, one of our previous episodes, we've talked about how we are doing a road trip through parts of the desert Southwest to commune with the land and mm -hmm. do a, a type of spiritual pil pilgrimage. And we've talked about the idea of also doing something similar in the Uinta Basin and maybe Sinead or both of us visiting that land mm -hmm. to, to do some more communing and research yeah, on this yeah. topic. I really feel like, you know, in relation to what you were just saying, we don't listen to it. Yeah. You know, like we, we just immediately have a fear response or if we don't have a fear response, we are kind of imposing ourselves upon it. Like, right. like we are going to go study this. We are going to right. go and find out what it is. We are going to go and do this to it or on it or with it. But there's not a lot of, hey, I'm here. I'm receptive. What do you want to tell me? Right. Can we communicate? I'm here to listen. I'm here to receive. Right. Like just that alone, as, as said in, you know, every possible um, spiritual I don't know, manifestation of faith or whatever in the universe, you know, in, in our planet anyway, that is one of the tenets If you have to be able to receive, right? If you want to live a spiritual life or you want to live a wise life, you have to be able to receive what is going on around us. And I mean, that's another thing Sarah Bressman Cosmic references to so many other people that there's so much information around us all the time that we can't see and we can't feel and so we just trust it because yeah. we think well it's just in the air yeah but it's not it's real information so the more we get into things like what james is doing the more validity there is yes you know in these experiences of picking up information from something yes. someone an energy field whatever it could be um that is becoming more measurable it's becoming more discoverable and it's becoming more validatable if that's a word <laughs> Um, which is really exciting. Like, yeah. like the, there's these, this is one of the things I've mentioned before a couple of times that really excites me. The intersection of yes. all of these different schools of thought, schools yes. of knowledge. 
they're coming together more and more and more yes. now. And technology is helping us do that. Yes. And James talked a lot about the incredible technology he has and what that reveals. So there's just so much going on, even in just this one conversation. I love us it. Too. Yeah, it's really exciting. James is excited. You can see his passion <laughs> yeah. in the interview for what he's doing. Yeah. And I can't wait to go out there to that land. I really feel a pull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can feel it too. Yeah, especially yeah. especially now after having this conversation. Oh, thank you, thank you so glad. So yeah, let's get into it and get into the episode with James. I think you guys are going to love it. Oh, you really are. He's yeah. wonderful. Follow his work. Yeah, he's published novels that are uh, fiction but they're based on his experiences and the evidence that he's found. It's also published a great deal of factual information and um, he does conferences and speaking engagements all over the world. So look for him. He's a wonderful balance presenter of this fascinating, exciting information. Yeah. Check out his information in the show notes. We got all the info there and have fun. Yeah. We'll, we'll see you on the other side. See you soon. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Star Family Wisdom. This is Sinead Willihan with you today. And uh, we're about to have a wonderful conversation with James Keenan, who I came across upon uh, during the Sedona Ascension Conference. I was in Sedona a few weeks ago and James was presenting there. And he was talking about what we mentioned in the intro. He is tracking the paranormal activity that's occurring in the Uinta Basin, but also uh, matching that or connecting that with history and with many um, factual, you know, factual pieces of evidence that have supported what's happening in the paranormal world and the energetic world in terms of the Uinta Basin. Um, so it's very interesting how James is bringing these two factual and paranormal aspects together and making sense of them for people. And also we really appreciate that he, he does not bring in the fear approach. He's not playing up the sort of horror or fear aspect of these unusual things that can occur. He's bringing a very calm, matter of fact approach. And we really appreciate that because we feel like living in a state of fear is not something that benefits anybody. So James, with that appreciation and a warm welcome, thank you so much for being here with us today. Much appreciated. And how are you? Good. Thanks, Nate, for having me. I appreciate it. We're very glad to have you. Been looking forward to this since I saw you in Sedona a few weeks ago. So why don't we start with uh, letting our audience get to know you by talking a bit about what you were like in your early life, because for many people who are in the paranormal world, um, sometimes it creeps up on them by surprise, but sometimes it's there in our early experiences in some way or another, whether or not it's our curiosity, our imagination, or unusual experiences. So you have been on this path for quite a while, but how did you start when you were a child, when you were a teenager? When did this begin for you? What's your origin story? Sure. So uh, I had a near-death experience before the age of two. Uh, I drowned, uh, wasn't brought back for about seven to 10 minutes, and uh, have a very good memory since the moment uh, that occurred uh, onward. And uh, even the in-between, I guess you could say, uh, it, it also included uh, a few years later, probably starting around the age of four with, uh, I guess, what people would consider shadow figures. So uh, I guess the paranormal was uh, very early in life. And I, you know, as I aged, I, I'm more grounded in the science. And I'm obviously open for both. I know that uh, at some point, we'll be able to figure out what, uh, you know, people label as uh, high strangeness or paranormal is really 
something that I believe will be able to uh, be labeled as scientific at some point. It's just understanding what those capabilities are. You know, everything is matter and energy and how we perceive it uh, may be different in some stages of uh, what we occupy currently. You know, whether you call, call it 3D or, you know, the world we live in, uh, it's just a different type of matter and energy. So uh, being open to what occurred when I was younger and kind of wanting to understand it better, you know, from an adult perspective, uh, it led me down that pathway. But, you know, in between, uh, I ended up going into law enforcement. So for well, it was law enforcement and private investigations. So for 20 plus years, uh, I was in uh, two, two different law enforcement departments and uh, in companies where I helped assist or run their loss prevention or special investigations for insurance companies and their fraud. So I have a very good understanding of investigation and what that encompasses anywhere from interviewing individuals to gathering data or collecting evidence, chain of custody, which is extremely important. Uh, and, you know, there came a point several years back where I was burned out and tired of that. And I really wanted to take everything that I had learned and what I understood and apply it to what I find exciting, mm -hmm. which is this understanding of, uh, high strangeness or the atypical uh, occurrences that are happening in the world. Uh, my degrees are in interdisciplinary studies with a major focus in anthropology and archaeology, uh, especially in Mesoamerican culture. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason I was always so interested in that is I have this understanding that we've lost this huge amount of history uh, and data from the past and that there were other cultures, civilizations, maybe other species that were here. And we have bits and pieces in the historical data, you know, whether it be oral tradition, petroglyphs, pictographs, artifacts, things of that nature. And it seems to tie into what uh, you would label as, you know, high strangeness or paranormal in certain degrees, or, or maybe just the fact that there was intelligence here that was far more advanced than we were. And it's hard for us to gain a grip or get a grip as to how that's even possible. But when you think of how long the earth has been here, mm. that, mm. you know, if these cultures existed millions of years ago, there wouldn't be much evidence left of them other than maybe oral tradition, folklore, mythology. And I'm really hoping that through the investigations that take place in the Uintah Basin, you know, and when you talk about that, you're talking about uh, Skinwalker Ranch and Blind Frog Ranch being up in the Uintah Basin, the Uintah Mountains. There's this uh, high strangeness, but I think it's tied into a lot more. I think it goes back into the history that we can see through uh, the indigenous people that were there for thousands of years that this has been occurring. And then it's all over the world and there's this connectivity. Uh, there's these beings or people of great stature. Uh, you know, some people will label them as giants that I'm very interested in because they seem to have a hand in so much that we consider paranormal now. Mm 
Mm -hmm. And uh, these sites around the world that are megalithic, um, that people are so interested in, and we know so very little about their history, it always seems to tie back to a major catastrophic event and giants. Uh, you know, the birth of civilization, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but a lot of origin isn't just Sumeria, but it's ancient Armenia. And you have these two giants that were fighting for power, Hike and Bell. And you have what a few people know that the, uh, the Celts, the, uh, the ancient Gaelic and the Gallic, you know, the Welsh and the Irish, more than likely originated from the mountains of ancient Armenia, which are now, you know, Azerbaijan, Turkey, Georgia, and Armenia. So it's just having to piece all this data together over the, you know, the last decade or so, there's just too much connectivity. So that's what I like to bring about to the public. And in the process of doing that, I try to bring in a great deal of science, especially using a lot of new technology that hasn't been available until the last decade. And some of it's so new that it, it's only been out the last four or five years. Wow. Um, and it's just amazing what the, the potential is for using that in such an investigation of this nature. Yeah, it really seems like, you know, we are living in a, a truly fascinating time in terms of data collection and information cohesion, because we're seeing all this intersectionality that is uh, between schools of thought or, you know, schools of knowledge, medicine, physics, science, that are intersecting in a way to validate, um, as you were kind of subtly saying just now, paranormal activity that has been occurring for who knows how long. So, so I want to just touch on, before we go any further, because you did such a beautiful introduction, that's pretty much everything we're going to be talking about in more depth during this interview. But going back to your very early beginnings with the NDE, this is a topic that uh, has been coming up for a lot of people in a more mainstream way, like NDEs seem to be breaking through uh, or crossing over, I guess, into the mainstream in a way where people are able to question it and see it as something that is reasonable, a reasonable possibility now, right, with all the evidence and stuff that's going on with NDEs to validate that there is life after death, the consciousness continues, the body does not, but the consciousness does. So you have this as your first pivotal life experience in this life. Do you remember anything about the NDE? And do you see any connection between that early experience and what you're doing now, other than obviously having had a high strangeness experience? Was there anything you saw or experienced or heard or were told you know, during that NDE that has anything to do with what you're doing now? Yeah, so my NDE, uh, I, I'm very aware of what occurred when I was, you know, what I would consider no longer here. Um, but when I hear what other people have, you know, had occur to them, it's not what I experienced. Oh. Uh, it's difficult to explain to people just based upon the fact that I don't think, you know, senses that we understand and comprehend this reality that we live right now was really in play after that. Um, and so it's extremely difficult to explain what occurred. Uh, I always tell people, it, it, it was darkness, but th that's the incorrect way, I guess, to label it. It wasn't that it was darkness. It was that there was no visual, you know, occurrence like, happening okay. during this time. 
it was more what I would consider maybe like an ether or just this realm where everything exists and that there was this collective of thought and consciousness. Everything worked as one and individual at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, there was a greater understanding of, I think more of, of who we are or what we are that uh, lives past this body that we currently have. And I always tell people, especially if, if you've known me from a, an earlier age, uh, I remember absolutely everything. And, and I wasn't quite two years old. I, I'm capable of, you know, recalling, uh, I, I guess, almost at what you would consider an adult level of recollection. Mm -hmm. And uh, in, in regards to, you, you know, other paranormal activity that happened a couple years after that, I, I'm still trying to understand. And, and I think it all deals with uh, electromagnetic force, uh, magnetic force, and, and just maybe a different, oh, and I hate using dimensionality, just, I, I think everything exists on top of it, of us in layers. Yeah. And, and I hate to throw out, you know, people use quantum physics or this word quantum and 99% of the time they're using it incorrectly. Uh, where I really under, I really believe that we're just talking about a charged matter or, or uh, an energy being connected at some point. So I think there's a, a very good possibility of maybe within the next 10 or 20 years, really understanding of how that uh, those layers fit together and how we're capable of reaching out and crossing over to that. Uh, whether you consider it a, an NDE or an experience, you know, and I always find this really interesting in the last two years, I, I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of physicists and a lot of individuals that worked in the military uh, or, or like with, for Robert Bigelow. Mm. Um, or, or I remember you mentioning this during your presentation at Yeah. Projects. And it blows my mind that the two things that they are most interested in has nothing to do with what we would consider science. It has mm -hmm. to do with the afterlife and remote viewing, that these are the two most important topics for, for some of the most intelligent people that are currently living. It, it, it's just, I, I find that freakishly weird kind of looking, you, you know, a, a new book came out uh, recently that was uh, Skinwalkers in the Pentagon. And you read it and, and you think it, it, it's a sci science fiction author. And then, and then you look who, who the authors are and you're just, you're like, wow. You know, one's a physicist, one was an engineer for the DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency. So, so there's obviously something uh, legitimate about the, the science and what we would consider uh, atypical understanding uh, that the two are absolutely connected and that there was this 
history of other cultures and, and civilizations that were far more ahead of the curve than we currently are right now. They just no longer exist because of cataclysmic events that can be shown and proven. And uh, we're playing catch up right now. And um, I always hate to, to use this phrase, but you know, the, the science moves forward one death at a time. Uh, <laughs> Um, just meaning that, uh, you know, as uh, newer generations take over, uh, I, I think they're more open to exploring and researching and collecting data points that were taboo in the past. Mm, agreed, agreed. And, I, you know, you're actually making me think of a couple of things. When you were mentioning the number of really high qualified, successful, intelligent people who are fascinated with this topic, that's something I would like to just emphasize for a minute because, there's such stigma, you know, about the, the the world that you and I rotate in, right? This world of high strangeness, of the paranormal, of the unexplainable, the you know, the ineffable. Um, but what has shocked me is that, you know, I used to feel that way. I thought that everybody was just tinfoil hat wearers and, you know, maybe people <laughs> that didn't quite have their feet on the ground, you know, that kind of stuff, because that's what filters down to us, right? That's the so-called information that filters down to us on the very mainstream level of society. This is what we're fed. But if you actually start reading about it and you start asking questions and looking into it with an open mind, I was amazed, same as you, about how many highly intelligent, successful, thoughtful, grounded people who are also big hearted, a lot of them are involved in this field and are at the progressive edge of it as I feel like you are. So I wanna go back to what you were saying as well about um, you know, the fact that these people are getting into remote viewing, they're getting into different kinds of physics, you know, a whole different, different kinds of questions entirely than what we're used to in terms of what's asked in the scientific world. And you are talking about this kind of stuff in a way that I find fascinating because you're talking about the history, again, you know, the history, the factual evidence that's there, but then also all this unexplainable stuff. And part of what's unexplainable that you've experienced is energetic anomalies that you see in the Uinta Basin. You were talking during your Sonoma presentation, uh, Sedona presentation, sorry, about um, electrical energy that was shooting, I think in a parallel way through the Uinta Basin from a, a wall face or something like that. If you can give a couple of examples about what you've experienced energetically, that would be fascinating to hear about. Sure, so on the Uinta Basin, I was using multiple different types of magnetometers and gradiometers. Um, measuring uh, the magnetic fields at uh, hundreds and hundreds of locations through the basin and the mountains. And there's certain locations where you have these highly anomalous readings, um, anywhere from like a, in a very low negative micro Tesla up to around 8990 micro Tesla, meaning those negative numbers are showing cavities or voids underground, or, or that's what it should represent. Oh. And these high numbers are representing something that's massively magnetic underground. But here's the strange thing. So I found these four points. They line up perfectly. They're parallel. They match up with these underground cavern systems that I've been tracking for years and I, I've been pushing and pushing this fact that there's a lot below our feet that we're just not aware of is because it's been covered up, mm -hmm. you know, over whether it be thousands or millions of years, but it shouldn't be in one place 
reading from this negative micro Tesla to this high reading, it, it should be uh, an atypical read, low or high. So what does this entail? Well, something is transient below our feet. It's moving. And oh. we don't quite understand how that's working. But we're, re we're looking more and more into what people, uh, they say, oh, it's a portal uh, or a gateway. And we have these all over the world that we've seen like Amaru Muru and uh, Lake Titicaca in Bolivia, Peru. Mm -hmm. um, we see one or two what look to possibly be that on the basin you have in Jordan or in Syria, uh, a couple of those like uh, Midas's uh, door caveway. And what these really are, and NASA is even looking into it currently, is what we would consider an electron diffusion region, meaning we're having these this high magnetic wave interact with this electromagnetic field. And what does that do? That charges uh, these particles, highly charged particles are created when these two come in contact with each other. And there's charged matter. I mean, you're, you're talking about the most energetic energy that we understand. And NASA is measuring that currently with four satellites directly above the earth. And, and there's this portal or gateway between the middle of the sun right over to the earth, which is 93 million mile difference mm -hmm. that they're opening for a split second or for multiple seconds. So why is that potential not available inside the earth because the planets are just a, a small star. They still act in the same uh, pattern that, you know, that their energy is usually typical of what a star is. So at these electron diffusion regions, uh, which is part of my hypothesis, you had these indigenous people, you know, we will we'll call them as we get closer to our time, Native Americans, you know, talking about this in their oral tradition, talking about this in the petroglyphs pictographs, that they're interacting with these gateways and these portals. So they were already aware of this energy. Yeah. This energy exists like nowhere else that I've seen on the Uintah Basin and in the Uintah Mountains. Now, I have a very sneaky suspicion that Mount Ararat, which is now in Turkey, is probably another one of those main locations. Uh, people bring up Sedona. You know, I, I live here in Arizona. I have I've never experienced what I've seen in several other places in Sedona, so I would kind of rule that out. Other people always ask me about ley lines. Um, I used to not believe in them, but it's kind of interesting when you look at what people have laid down as these ley lines that like Salt Lake City seems to have like a, a, a massive amount of these coming together and two or three of those cross right over uh, the Skinwalker Ranch and Blind Frog Ranch area. Um, and you look at Mount Ararat again, or you look in Bolivia, Peru, and you have these running, I mean, right through these portal areas. So I think, we're just at the precipice of relearning uh, a lost science or um, understanding energy. Uh, and I, I think true particle physics, true quantum physics is right there and is gonna lead us in that direction.
And it'll be really interesting to match it up with what we have already seen or know from the past cultures and civilizations, what little bits and pieces we have, you know, you hear about Aslan, you know, Atlantis, Mew. Um, I'm a firm believer that these more advanced cultures existed. Uh, there's just too much evidence uh, that they were mythology and folklore. It's, I just don't believe that any longer. I, I don't think I ever did. I, I just, I want to be able to provide concrete evidence at, at some point. And I think I still got a good 20 or 25 years left in me. <laughs> so so uh, I, we're getting there. Um, you know, the new show, Secret of Skinwalker Ranch, season three, uh, episode two was yesterday. Um, they're on to something. Uh, yeah. I appreciate the fact that they show the UAP that seemed to be right next to the portal or the event that's occurring above the triangle, because uh, that triangle, what's below it is really what's most important because either that energy is creating the phenomena that we are seeing, or it's attracting a lot of phenomena to that location because of how energetic it is. Yes, and can you just clarify what the triangle is, just for listeners who might not be aware? Sure, so the, the triangle is just a location that's made up of uh, two dirt roads and a, a stream or a creek that look like a triangle from above from an aerial viewpoint on Skinwalker Ranch. And uh, when I was on the, the show, um, I explained uh, and actually showed my presentation where these data points that I've collected, these anomalies occur and run right through the triangle. Uh, I showed that part of my hypothesis was it has to be some type of water event that's helping it. Sure enough, when they drilled, there were these underwater streams or creeks. And 5,000 feet plus above the triangle, there seems to be what we would consider a portal and a lot of UAP occurring. Uh, just last night, they captured again another UAP occurrence, uh, and there's all this strange RF, EF, EMF that's occurring there uh, that registers. Uh, I used to think it was only at three gigahertz. That's what I've been able to collect um, with the UAP that I've interacted with, but uh, the two physicists on the show are showing that it seems now to be more between 1.6 gigahertz and three gigahertz is the, you know, that prime range of the, the spectrum oh, okay. uh, that really needs to be evaluated uh, more and looked at, maybe interacted with. And I have a lot of ideas as to how to make the phenomena interact more um, within that uh, radiation, within that spectrum. Oh my goodness, that would be incredibly exciting. So we definitely have to have you back then. We're already having you back for a part two just to talk about, you know, what's going to happen in that situation. But I just want to ask you, because you're touching on so many things that I, I love. Um, so when you, I just want to touch on the uh, the portal mentioned, because you were saying there's a, there's a portal or what is believed to be a portal 5,000 feet above Skinwalker Ranch. Can you explain that a little bit more? Because I keep thinking about our audience and how they're you know, how they're going to be able to interpret what you're saying. And so a portal is something, you know, again, referring to the sort of mainstream understanding that we have, you see something, you see some, you see a whirling circle and it opens and then there's a doorway and you go through it, like in the Marvel movies, you know, in Marvel comics. But in your actual experience, what is it really like when you're, when you are 
around a portal or underneath it, experiencing it in some way? What do you see? What do you experience? So uh, everything is through uh, seeing a change in, in the radiation uh, in the spectrum. You're, you're monitoring stuff that shouldn't be occurring all at once. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, you'll see UAP, um, you know, Which around it. Okay. An unidentified aerial, aerial phenomenon, otherwise correct. known as a UFO. Yes. Okay. Sure. Or UFO, right. Oh. Um, it's there and then suddenly it's not. Uh, there seems to be targeted energy at certain individuals. So if we're looking at uh, targeted energy, what better place for the military to have been conducting um, gathering and collection of the scientific data than at Skinwalker Ranch because they more than likely were aware that it was occurring. Now we see it's been weaponized in the Havana syndrome. Um, But staying away from anything negative, there's, there's a need to understand what's occurring uh, in order to move or shift uh, our scientific paradigm uh, and be able to interact with uh, the paranormal. Uh, I, I, don't, I think maybe at some point we'll completely get rid of that word paranormal and we'll, we'll start you know, saying, hey, we're able to interact with whoever it is or, or whatever other layer is there, mm-hmm. there seems to be a compression of energy, which has this space-time differential occurring, meaning we see the past or things in the past starting to interact with the present and it's for a limited amount of time, whatever is in the past is aware of us and we're aware of it for a while, uh, whether that be a, a dire wolf that we, we know has existed uh, in the 1990s. And, and unfortunately, there's some things I have to stay away from based you know, because of an NDA or something like that. So I can't get into as much detail, but it happens more than, uh, than people know about. Mm -hmm. Um, so something, uh, along the line of, of an electron diffusion region and these charged particles being, uh, created and going into a very, very tiny limited area. Imagine that amount of energy, this, this incredible amount of energy being focused into a little, little tiny spot up in the sky, what it would do. Um, what, what is that capable of creating? And and that's where we get into what people, you know, think of portals and all that. I I, I don't think it's, you know, what people would like for it to be or what they say. Um, I mean, it's possible that it could take different forms based upon, uh, maybe the weather pattern or what's available in the sky. Maybe that's why people see, um, like a swirling or something that's interacting. Maybe it's just a deeper dive into the energy that's available that we can't see with our visible, uh, with our eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it is happening. And at some point, maybe people are able to see some other type of phenomena occurring that uh, shows that a portal is forming or has formed. 
um, which I just haven't uh, seen with my own eyes, but maybe it's, it's a matter of having the right technology facing the right direction at the right time that will capture it because it's amazing what FLIR footage is starting to show, you know, thermal imaging um, and infrared uh, technology. It's seeing things that we just don't see in the visible light spectrum. So maybe it's, it's just a matter of being in the right place at the right time in the future. And, you know, I'll be up there uh, in June uh, starting this year's investigation and data collection. And that's definitely, uh, you know, one of the top five things on my list is to really have that uh, technology focused up into the sky uh, more so than, you know, on the ground like I have in the past. Oh, interesting, interesting, interesting. I love that. And actually, you're touching on yet again, something that I find that I just love, which is the, uh, the knowledge, the actual fact that we have now, you know, science has proved this, that we can't see everything that is happening around us. Our, our human eye is only capable of seeing a certain amount of the light spectrum. And so we're not able to see what is actually all around us all the time. And I love that. I love that science has finally proved that because it gives more legitimacy to the experience of, uh, you know, the paranormal, high strangeness beings being around us that we can interact with and hear or sense, but not actually see with our eyes. So do you think that one of the ways that we can increase um, clarity of contact and our knowledge and understanding of what is occurring do you think that part of it is honing in on our own senses and our own abilities that we already have as humans that we don't make use of? You know, those skills or abilities, talents, intuition that all of us have, that we are discouraged from using, that we're told, you know, is ridiculous or nonsensical, uh, but is coming much, much more into the forefront of science right now as well, right? The mind-body connection and the intelligence of intuition. That's another field that is rising in prominence. So, do you think that that is part of what's going to help us connect with this, these other layers of our reality? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I, I was kind of taken by the fact that um, some well-known physicists seem to, you know, be headed down that path that um, our capabilities are far greater than what we believe they are currently or what we've thought they were in the past, at, at least the past that we're aware of. Um, I think some people are even more in tuned with whatever is occurring and maybe that's why they're affected more so by certain types of radiation uh, around us. Mm. And I, I think maybe we might get a better understanding by uh, following up with them and, and seeing what those those different patterns are, whether they're brain waves or just being open to something, um, that'd be really interesting. But yeah, I 100% believe that our capabilities, you know, we're taught at such a young age that science is the only thing. Um, and, and the science that we know of, and you're not allowed to go out of that box and that a lot of stuff is just, you know, woo-woo. And um, I don't think that that's true. I, I think that there's going to be this greater understanding that the two meet and we move, you know, 
further down the road uh, or farther into our um, understanding based upon melding those two together at, at some point. And I think right now is just a great time of uh, this, this new understanding. You know, a lot of stuff have come out, uh, especially recently with the government releasing so much data on, you know, these unidentified aerial phenomena and the capabilities that they have are beyond our understanding. And, you know, it's maybe exciting. our own, yeah, maybe our own capabilities are right now beyond our understanding and we'll get to that point. Yeah, I certainly think that they are. I mean, I'm definitely with you on that. I, one of my own questions, for example, is the majority of our body is made up of water. Water is, you know, a very energetic, uh, energetically transferring force, right? It transfers energy. We know that everything is made up of, of vibration and of energy. So water certainly holds energy and can vibrate. And I often wonder how much of that is part of our sensory ability, like our sensing that something is there or something is present, our sensing of another consciousness. There's a lot of wonderful new science that we're um, getting into these days. So I fully, fully agree with you that we're living in a very exciting time, a very exciting time. And you know, if you're, if you're existing only in, in the mainstream reality, whether or not you wanna call it the 3D, whatever it is, um, you might only think that we're living in a very troubling time, right? We're going through a pandemic. There's now a war happening. No one's quite aware, sure how that's going to go. Um, the you know, rise of fascism around the world. We're not going to get into politics in this discussion. We avoid it on the podcast. But just that, you know, climate change, economic unrest, there's so much going on that makes people stressed out and makes them afraid. Yet, if you look beneath the surface of what is being delivered to us on a mainstream level, there's a lot of incredible stuff happening in the world and a lot of incredible people doing incredible things. Both of those things exist side by side. And I feel like your work is highlighting that, like your work is at the forefront of where we need to go with our knowledge and understanding. So bringing it back to your work, um, there's an expression that someone once used, someone famous who said that we live life forwards, but we learn it backwards. Right, we learn by reflecting. We learn by mapping backwards, and you're at, you're using that as an aspect of your work by utilizing science and technology that's available right now, but also utilizing all of the mythology, folklore, you know, um, oral traditions, and wisdom of the ancient people who were here on this land, as well as the history of just what was occurring at those times. Can you talk a little bit about what you found in terms of the First Nations people and people before that, perhaps? who held this knowledge and this wisdom of all these other things that are going on that we have been taught are ridiculous, they took to be normal, to be part of their reality, to be part of what was occurring in their life as humans or evolution as human beings. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because there certainly is a wide juxtaposition between the two times. Sure, and you touched upon it a little bit. Um, you know, when we talk about the indigenous people, the Native Americans, they're rich, their culture is rich in um, the, this phenomena occurring when they're using music, sound differently. And what are we talking about? We're talking about a frequency, a vibration, you know, wavelengths. And we are building better technology that creates or, or has the potential of creating more and more energy, but I don't think that's really necessary. I think the energy that's necessary to, to get past where we are, 
we all have it already. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just a matter of knowing where we need to be, where the energy is available and altering or shifting uh, that wavelength or the frequency or the sound, or maybe it's multiples of that at one time. And in oral tradition of the Native Americans and those before them, uh, I'll call them the indigenous people or, or those that were here before, because we have this history where the Native Americans say they weren't you know, our ancestors, we don't know who they were. Mm-hmm. In the petroglyphs, in the pictographs, in the artifacts, there's some really telling signs of something occurring that we've lost understanding of. You see these designs or these events that they're trying to map or leave for future posterity of events that occurred in the past. And they look like they were plasma events in the sky or some type of energy occurring where things were opening up, whether that be, you know, what we would label as a portal and other beings coming out, or maybe the fact that in a different state of mind uh, with the right wavelength or frequency around them, they're capable of seeing whatever these creatures or beings are. And you, the, it almost seems like the, the farther back that you go in the history, it gets crazier and crazier, or, or it's, you're like, you know, what, what the heck were they involved in, or what were they trying to make record of? Mm-hmm. And you see this, not just in the desert Southwest, but you see it all over the world but you see it in greater grouping in certain parts of the world, such as the desert Southwest. So maybe it's because the location again, contained that energetic ability that was necessary for these things to occur. Uh, How that is, we don't know. I'm not, I don't know. Um, It may have been lost for a while. Right now it seems like the potential is growing again or is back to where it was in the past whether we be somewhere in the galaxy or the universe or in the solar system that we were at thousands of years ago and we're passing through it now and it's affording us that opportunity um, or we're just now recognizing what they knew in the past and how to use that. Uh, It's there, it's in the historical data. It's just a matter of learning how to interpret it. Mm. And I always tell people two things, you know, the petroglyphs, pictographs, and artifacts are subjective. Uh, you know, what I think they could be, someone else may think there's something different. The only person that would ever know is the person who created them or the artist. You know, you call it rock art, but should it really be considered art? Maybe it was a story or, or documentation occurring. Hmm. Maybe they were told that the only way for it to Uh, you know, withstand the test of time was to put it on the best medium possible that has the best opportunity of not going anywhere. But yeah, so, so we're seeing this. And then the, the other thing is in the petroglyphs, the pictographs and the artifacts in certain locations, like in Utah, we're missing huge chunks of normal daily life. Things that should be common, that should have been 
put into the petroglyphs and pictographs are missing at certain uh, periods in time, you know, and I'll call them the Barrier Canyon style and the Fremont culture. Uh, they were really desert archaic people. We don't really know who they were or who they became or where they went. I feel like uh, they later turned into the Aztec, who we would know as the Aztec as they migrated southward. But we're missing maize, corn, uh, houses, daily life. And they're filled instead with these anthropomorphic and zoomorphic figures that don't make sense. Um, we're seeing these atypical or, or symmetrical designs that have things coming out of them, or we see these figures with six fingers and six toes or six figures and huge feet that I believe are representing people of great stature or what we would consider giants. And there, there's this, this rich historical data that's been lost that at some point we need to maybe come across something that will allow us to understand what it really means. And I feel that there is some type of site uh, or some type of hall of records or some type of location that contains brass, copper, gold plates that's below ground. One of those locations, I'm a firm believer, firm believer from the data points I've collected may very well be in the Uinta Mountains. Um, I think there's also a good potential that it's around the Great Salt Lake as well. One of those two locations, you know, we've talked about Hall of Records being in Egypt, uh, possibly in Ecuador in the Taos cave system. Uh, they wouldn't have just put it in one or two locations, whoever they were before us, that great civilizations that were more advanced, they would have known to spread this out over certain areas that would have given a greater potential for it to have survived major catastrophic events that have occurred and that will occur in the future. Um, the problem is, is those that find it, are they willing to share that information? Uh, you know, and, and my goal uh, is, is to locate these sites and if that data is available to get it, and to figure out the best way to bring it out to the public without it being stopped or taken or, or you know, whatever happens, it's one way that we're gonna figure out and hopefully move forward in, in leaps and bounds and in, in one just big move in understanding and in new knowledge at some point and hopefully it's in the very near future. And, and again, the new technology available you know, can see so deep into the ground in a non-invasive manner that it gives you the opportunity to do so much more than without having to, uh, you know, dig or drill. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a lot just, of potential. There's a lot of potential ahead. Yeah, I hear that. I hear absolutely. that. Absolutely. 
Yeah, and I'd like to talk about um, a couple of things next. One is I would really love to hear you talk about a couple of your personal paranormal experiences. Um, that would be something to really help the audience ground, like connect with you and where you're coming from, your personal experience. I know that it's a big part of what motivates you, right? It's not just your long ago personal experience, but your ongoing experience directly with the paranormal. Um, but we'll, we'll get to that. First, I just want to ask you my last question on this particular topic. Um, when it comes to, this is something that really interests me and interests Jenna as well, when it comes to those stories, the oral traditions, the, um, the documentation of ancient life, you know, the things we're, we're referencing, the mythology, the folklore, all along, you know, since those ancient times, it seems like it's been painted for the rest of us as just stories, right? As, as mythology, something being purely made up from the imagination of human beings and not grounded whatsoever in reality. So what I'd like to ask you is what gives you in your mind, in your experience with all of the, all of the deep, intense research, intensive research that you've done all over the world, because you've traveled all over the world doing these studies. This is not just in the Uinta Basin. You're bringing this knowledge home to the Uinta Basin, connecting it to what's happening there and having your own experiences. But what, what makes it legitimate? Like, how did you know that these were not just stories, that this was not just ancient human active imagination, you know, trying to make sense of things because they didn't have enough science at the time? That's sort of the general understanding, right? But you're saying, and many other people in this field who are at the forefront of this knowledge are saying, no, 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 these are not made up. These are actual documented depictions of what was going on in the lives, of, in the experiences of these human beings at this time. So how do you know that they're legitimate? How can you help the audience understand that? Sure. So, you, you know, obviously there was this greater diffusion of information you can't have the same documentation, the same existence of pictures of the same type of oral tradition all over the world unless they really were connected. Um, you, you know, so I, I, I've been to locations in Scotland and Ireland, they're all underground. You know, they knew that in order for it to be protected and kept available to put the most important stuff underground or on a medium that would last through almost anything. Okay. And that, that uh, other opportunity would be rock, rocks, rock art. Um, so you're seeing the same thing by these ancient people. Uh, regardless of where they're located in the world, right? Regardless like widely of where they're spread located. Out. Yeah, no ways of communicating with each other at that time. So As we're told, but, you know, we know better. There, there is no other way that this could have all happened around the same time by all different cultures and civilizations. Something occurred that everybody was aware of around the world, whether that was that they were seafaring or other technology that allowed, you know, worldwide connectivity. Mm -hmm. um, or events in the sky occurring, plasma events, cataclysmic events occurring, the great deluge, you have this throughout the whole world. How much more evidence do you need than, mm. than the same documentation written, carved, painted, spoken through? You, you know, they knew that 
paper, papyrus, all this stuff dissolves, is destroyed over time. But if you continue the tradition of telling, you know, from one generation to the next, that in, in some way, shape, or form, it would continue on. Mm-hmm. And it's all over. There's no way that this diffusion took place. And I don't know how they can continue to teach otherwise in the universities and in the schools with so much evidence. And, you know, on, on top of that, you're getting uh, this Western culture that's telling you no, it can't be true. It's only folklore and mythology. But when you talk to the Native Americans, when you talk to other indigenous people throughout the world, yeah, it's oral tradition. There's a difference between mythology, folklore, and oral tradition. Oral tradition is history to these people. Yes. yes. We got to open up our ears and listen to what they've been trying to explain and tell us. For hundreds um, of thousands of, or thousands of years. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Because, you know, our history is only several thousand years back in the past where apparently their history is a couple hundred thousand years, if not older. And we have religions around the world, and I'm not going to name them, that came across certain historical data. Uh, I always look at the Bible as a historical data. I may not necessarily believe in the religion, but the history that was collected is real history. It may have been altered to fit somebody's perspective of what religion is, but there's a religion that's fairly new here in the Americas where an individual came across gold, copper, brass plates, created a religion out of it. Those plates exist. I mean, they've been found throughout Missouri, Ohio, New York, upstate New York, where this religion started, all the way through, you know, to Utah. Um, Kansas has has tons of these plates in the mounds that were left over. Um, it, it, It was just a matter of them being incorrectly interpreted to fit somebody's need or perspective where that historical data is available, it's just now being kept or secreted away for selfish reasons or, or other you know, religious reasons. And, and I get it and I understand it, we're all human. Um, but the data is there, the, there's a, it just has to be available to the public. And, and again, that's what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to locate this historical data that's below our feet underground uh, at sites that are all over the world. You know, I've spent a lot of time in Mesoamerica. I'll be back down in uh, uh, Mexico City area in the end of June and July, and then back in the Yucatan in March of next year. There are certain sites that we know of that are fairly new that they haven't excavated yet. I have the technology now to walk across these pyramids that are still covered without the anthropologist that's standing next to me even knowing I'm collecting the data because these uh, these 3D ground imaging systems 
I can wear on my ankle. I have one that actually fits around my ankle and I carry the tablet in my hand and it wow. collects the data. Wow. Uh, so I'm going to get a better picture of what's there before they're able to excavate and take that and, and hide it away. Or, you know, maybe they will, they will make it available to the public, but I'm pessimistic and not optimistic about it getting out to the public. So if I can do that and we have great people, you know, Dwayne Ollinger is the owner of Blind Frog Ranch and it's in a location that I promise you has a lot of history mm -hmm. um, and I can't get into all of it uh, because I, I, I don't want to get into it right now because I don't want that disappearing, but it has history that hopefully will become available to everybody in the very near future. I know Dwayne is working hard on that. He presented with you at the conference where I saw you speak and his presentation right. was wonderful as well. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, so it's a matter of, you know, lo the location being available to the public, being able to retrieve that data and being able to get it out to the public without it being taken away and, and secreted away. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of other things too. Uh, in regards to, you know, the Spaniards were here and they collected a lot of information that is still available. It's just we don't know or we've lost track of where it's been deposited and it's hard to interpret it because it's in an older Spanish. So finding, finding it again, it's only a matter of time being able to go into the right archive with the right interpreter that can really understand it and being able to collect it, reinterpret it the right way, and then present that, and then hopefully collect new data points off of that old information and locate these sites that were intentionally covered up to be preserved. Um, it, it's just, you know, we're on the precipice of locating these sites again. Uh, not, not, not just in Utah, like you said, but in Mexico, uh, there's one, and I'm hesitant to, to say where in the UK it is. And then you and I were talking a little bit uh, before we started uh, you know, recording that a lot of this information, this ancient information and data is in ancient Armenia, which now takes up you know, the countries of Turkey, Azerbaijan, Georgia, and what little left is of Armenia. And a big part of it is tied into the giants, to these people of great stature. You know, th they were the gods to Homo sapiens at the beginning. People like to throw around the Nephilim and the Anunnaki, the Watchers, and that seems to be all they know. But let me tell you, uh, if you read my books, even though they're, they're fictional, a lot of the data is hidden in there in the pictures, especially in the new book. But you have the Uemas, the Kinametsen giants, the Siteka, which were the red-headed cannibal giants in the desert southwest as far as Tennessee. You have the Starnake, which the Navajo and the Apache say were the mining giants that had tools that made sound. So what does that tell us? They were vibrational, pneumatic, or electrical. You know, they enslaved the indigenous people to work these mines. When the Spaniards came to Utah and they, you know, started torturing the Shoshone 
and the Paiute that were in the area, they told them there's no need to dig the new mines. The mines already exist. You just have to reopen them. Well, who was mining that? Well, it was the Starnake, the Siteka. Um, you know, ancient Armenia was created when two giants fought each other. You had Hike and Bell, and Hike killed Bell and started what is currently Armenian. A lot of people don't know that ancient Armenian writing is actually cuneiform. The Sumerians created that cuneiform text to be able to trade with this ancient group of people that lived in and around Mount Ararat, which later became Van, and then later Armenia. You know, the current Armenian wasn't created until they became Christian and sent a scholar down to Greece, and he kind of copied that Greek writing and created uh, the current Armenian language. But how do we have all this connectivity? It's incredible, because the giants on Sardinia, I've shown, I mean, I've proven that they look identical to the giants that were in the Uinta Basin. The petroglyphs fit and look just like the artifacts in Sardinia. I showed that in a lot of my past presentations. Um, so it's a matter of just getting this historical data out to the world um, yeah. and not just being hidden away by a few people that know it and don't want it out there, whether it be for religion or, you know, the power structure excuse me, the power structure that's currently in play throughout the world. Yeah. So. Yeah. Actually, let's just touch on that very briefly, just before we get into your personal experiences. Um, could you're, I feel like I, what I hear, correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm hearing is you're talking about this information being covered over in two different ways. You've been referencing that through our conversation that's been covered over, or it's been hidden or obscured. And it seems like there were two purposes for that. One was that the ancient people uh, or the ancient beings and or the people covered it over for protection, right? To make sure that that knowledge would be able to be protected and would survive over eons into the future to help people in the future. The other one is uh, the small group of people or small group of, yeah, people on earth who are intentionally hiding this stuff, intentionally uh, spreading lies to say that it doesn't exist, intentionally covering over this information over many, many, many generations to keep it for themselves and the most obvious answer would be, you know, for power and control, right? Because we all know that on this earth, there are people at the very, very high top level of, uh, of humanity in terms of power who are there because they want power and control. You have to have a certain mindset and a certain mentality, a certain way of being to operate like that at that level. And it kind of requires wanting to have power and control. But is that the simple answer? Is that it? Or do you think there's more going on with why that's been covered up? It's funny, you know, you're touching upon, I'm going to be speaking at the, the UFO Disclosure Symposium at the end of the month, May 27th through 29th. And I think a lot of people think I'm just going to be talking about uh, Skinwalker Ranch and Blind Frog Ranch. And my presentation really has very little to do with both. What it has to do with is this loss of information and why that occurred. Yeah. And a lot of this artifacts, uh, I'm going to go into the ancient alien artifacts that are coming out of Abuelos de Alisco in Mexico, but you're absolutely right. So the first part, yeah, I'll give you a great example, Gobekli Tepe, that's ancient Armenia. It just happens to be in current Turkey. I mean, you know, Turkey took it from the Armenians within the last hundred years. Mm -hmm. That was ancient Armenia. It was covered up to survive and tell a story in the future. So 
that answers your first one. That's an example, at least, of what you said. And absolutely, the second part is, you know, command, control, and conquer. Uh, whether that be through religion, uh, through governments, you know, yeah. sovereign nations, it yeah. doesn't matter because business, corporations, globalization, religion, and governments are all interconnected at the highest level right now. And, and I, I just despise talking about that. And I leave that alone. That's not my thing. What is my thing is to explain why we've lost this data. And it's still out there. There's some of it out there and it's just covered up. Yeah. If covered up stuff, there's some of it that, that is lost that we have to get out immediately without it being known. It has to be brought out immediately. Um, whereas, you know, a lot of it's lost because it's in private collections. Ah, uh, okay. You know, well, that also makes Vatican, sense. You know, uh, whisked away for whatever reason, but there's a lot of information below our feet. It's just a matter of finding it. And, and in this presentation, it's a brand new presentation that's at the end of the month. And it's funny that you talk, you asked me that because uh, I think it's extremely important yeah. and it ties into so much more of paranormal, or I, I prefer to call it high strangeness or atypical, because I think the word paranormal has just kind of been beaten and raked through the coals. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and I, I don't run around uh, a haunted house, you know, right. yes. with, with yes. all this technology screaming <laughs> out numbers that make no sense to anyone. So in this presentation, I'm going to explain the technology, what it's, what it's for, what it collects, why I'm collecting it, and where this lost information could be and the potential of recovery and what it's possibly going to show. And then I wanna show the fakes that are out there, how to spot what's not real. And- I love that. And what is real. And- uh, I love that, I love that. Oh yeah, because again, you know, the, the information, a lot of information has been misinterpreted or yeah. it comes down to, to money and power. You know, you, you have uh, drug cartels creating these Abuelos de Alisco artifacts because it's a lucrative business now. And so many people are, are you know, juked out of their, their hard-earned money for no reason. But there are real artifacts that have ancient writing that has information, and it's just a matter of decoding it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. by going back into the the data that we have and interpreting it correctly. I love that. And I really love that you're emphasizing, you know, it's very important for us to be discerning and to use facts and, you know, critical thinking methodology, basically, to make sure that whatever information we're taking in is actually information and is not made up or uh, fabricated in some way, because there's an awful lot of that out in general right now, right? It's very difficult to tell right now what is real and what isn't. And so, you know, the, the onus is, I feel, on the average individual to take on more responsibility in our own lives, to become more empowered as citizens of this world that we are participating in without just kind of being led by the nose, you know, by the usual power systems. And so, right. 
Right. And you're kind of touching on one of them with the cartel mentioned, which is consumerism, right? If we're, if we're kept in a place of fear and uncertainty, we buy, 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 because that's what makes us feel better, makes us feel more secure. So there's absolutely, you know, once you really start looking into this stuff, you can see that there, there is evidence that you're emphasizing. And I love that you're emphasizing that there is actual evidence. There is actual information out there to help us understand that this stuff is real and it's not woo-woo, it's not fiction, it's not mythology, it is real stuff that is important for us to know for our own beingness, right, for our own evolution as human beings. We have to understand where we came from and where we're going. So I want to bring it back to the sort of individual uh, person and bring it to you. So we were going to talk about some personal experiences that you've had. You are definitely somebody who's taken on the responsibility, by right? You're owning these things that are happening to you in your life. You're owning your curiosity and you seem to have this sense of responsibility and wanting to be of service, right? To human, to humans right now and to our world right now. So I can hear the passion in your voice as you're talking about all these things. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you here because I know how, how deeply you feel this is important. So on a personal level, how important is this to you in your own life as you, James, with the experiences that you have yourself? How have all these things impacted you and your life and how you think and how you feel about life? Yeah, 100%. You know, like I said, I come from a law enforcement, private investigation background where 90% of interaction was negative. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it gets to you after a while. Um, and I knew there was just so much more out there, uh, you know, going through uh, school. Um, it used to drive me crazy that if I brought anything up to the professors, um, you were shot down immediately, you know, that it's just a stupid thought. It's done. Those are people that don't understand the science behind it. And I, I, I just... It, that just infuriated me even more that they weren't willing to, you know, consider anything else other than what their professor taught them that was taught by a professor that taught them. And, and it's mm -hmm. the same thing since the 18th and 19th century. And for me, I know that there out there, uh, I know that it's based upon matter and energy. Everything is positive and negative. Uh, in the last few years, I see everything as positive and negative. That's, that's the world around us. It's matter and energy. Uh, whether you consider that good or bad or, or you know, angelic and evil. Um, it's duality, it's, right? It's, we exist exactly. In duality. It's yeah. one or the other. Uh, so why not try to live in the positives, but you absolutely need the negative for positive to exist. So that's where I'm at right now. Um, in order to be that way, uh, I had to, like I said, get out of what I was doing uh, because, you know, when you, you live in that underbelly of the world, it, it eats a part of you away, but I want to change that. And uh, I, I felt that if I could write um, and author what I felt was most important in this world. And I didn't want to do it in nonfiction because for me, the two reasons. One is sometimes it just gets boring. 
you know, reading the not, and I, I, I like reading about things. That's the only way you're going to become more knowledgeable about things, yeah. but you, you get to understand more of an individual or, or a society in the fiction, because there's always going to be reality. You know, everything fictional is based in reality. Yes. My very first book was Dark Shadows and Catastrophe. And 40, 50% of it is my life. I just, if I wrote nonfiction, I would have been fired the next day, <laughs> you know? Um, right. So what way to get that out? And I talk about the experiences that occurred and things that happened and, and add to it what I think or where I think things need to go or, or what's going to occur. And yeah, I'm absolutely passionate about it because the science is going to lead us to a greater understanding of what we don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people will go, oh, you're just throwing around a bunch of words. So what I mean is what's paranormal today is going to be normal tomorrow. It's going to be science. Science. So I always want to make sure I have those data points collected for those people that just refuse to believe anything else or, or won't. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be a paradigm shift to where the two come together because it's always been together. And, and you know, I, I had one great experience I, from all the data I collected from the speaking to people up on the basin. I found a, a location and, and you were at the presentation where I talked about the UAP uh, that I came into contact with. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned that it operated and sent out a certain frequency at three gigahertz. Uh, I've recently come to find out that um, our government was already aware of that exact uh, three gigahertz from UAP. Uh, the color that it was at, I used technology I, that I had used as a police officer. I used a radar gun that you police, you know, catch you speeding with the KA uh, in the IEEE. It's a KA band radar gun, which operates at 34.7 gigahertz. Um, I used a laser gun. It didn't interact at all with the, the UAP, I used this microwave range and it freaked out, was trying, it was evasive, trying to get away from the radiation that was coming out of the gun. Uh, it told me two things. Uh, it wasn't just light, it had a surface because it bounced back uh, a reading of anywhere between 11 and 44 miles per hour as it was trying to evade uh, the 34.7 gigahertz. Oh. The spectrum analyzer that I had was collecting that this thing was operating at 2.9 to 3.1 gigahertz. So it fit in that three gigahertz range at at whatever, you know, it's obviously AI, there's intelligence behind it because of the way it's maneuvering and operating. And I'm collecting all this amazing data that provides the science with the better understanding or the belief that there's more out there than what we currently know. so yeah, I mean, that's where I'm at. Uh, that was last uh, summer. Who knows what we're going to find, you know, coming up next month when we're out there on the basin mm-hmm. um, and then in Mexico in uh, the end of June and July. 
oh, please, you know, come back and tell us because we want to hear, we want to hear about it. And if, if we can draw on that UAP experience you had a little more, can you describe what that was like for you? Like, what did it look like? Where did it come from? Where were you? You know, what was the context when you experienced this? Can you tell our audience about that? Yeah, sure. So uh, it was an orb, I would say, maybe the size of a basketball. Uh, it just appeared out of nowhere. So we, we were in a location that we knew the same type of phenomenon had occurred before. Okay. Uh, it wasn't on a first try. This was multiple attempts. Finally, uh, we came into contact with it. Um, it went from an orange color to a white and at the end, it was this brilliant blue plasma before mm -hmm. it just imploded on itself and was gone. But for the 92 seconds that we interacted with it, um, it continued to maneuver in an attempt to get away from the KA band gun that we were, radar gun that we were using, uh, which gave me a wealth of information, you know, that uh, what its capabilities were. Yeah, it was just, behaving in a conscious way, a reactive it, way. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that's one of the 10 things is to go back to this site and see uh, if we're able to collect any more data from the RF, EF, or EMF uh, spectrum. Okay, uh, and when you say we, who is we, by the way? Who are you working with? So I can't tell you that there, there's a few of us. Uh, Can you say what the, what the job titles are or, you know, the skill sets of these people? Sure. One of those individuals worked for BASS, Bigelow Aerospace, uh, Advanced Space Studies um, for Robert Bigelow on Skinwalker Ranch for years. Mm. Uh, he's a great friend of mine. Um, if those credentials don't tell you what he's seen and experienced. I don't know what else, you know, or who else has. Um, the other individual, I, I, I can't really tell you a whole lot about yet. Okay. But uh, we were up last summer uh, on Blind Frog Ranch around that general area. This is where that occurred. Uh, we were south of Skinwalker Ranch. Um, I don't know if you got to see Ryan Burns. Uh, yes. He, he gave his presentation at the conference that I met you at. Uh, he owns the Space Wolf Research, which is adjacent to the south fence of Skinwalker Ranch. He's a fantastic individual that has been looking into the strange phenomena, not just there, but in Nevada for probably two decades. And he's just a good friend. He, he's always willing to allow people to uh, research and investigate. Um, and one of those, probably the most important data point when I talked about uh, those magnetic anomalies was on his property, three and a half feet away from Skinwalker Ranch. And remember, phenomena doesn't stick to human boundaries. Mm. You know, it just so happens that this is a focal point of some of the phenomena occurring that Skinwalker Ranch happens to be a part of. Uh, the Mesa 
directly north of Skinwalker Ranch is probably more important than the ranch itself. And I won't get into that just based upon data that we're still going through and interpreting and have to go back and verify. Wow, that's exciting. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, wow. I mean, uh, there, there's so many people, you know, so if you're able to openly transfer this information without trying to hoard it and, and keep it covered up, there's so much more that can come out of it. And, and yeah. Uh, you, you know, instead of having to reinvent the wheel every time, somebody can take the data that we present or show and run with that and maybe go even, you know, further than where we've been. Mm -hmm. and, and they maybe find something that we've overlooked or missed or that didn't occur while we were there. Um, you know, and, and I love to interview people because those that live there have so many stories to tell because there's so much that happens. And you couldn't imagine how much important information comes from something that you think or they may think isn't important that is absolutely important. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, what I do is when I'm at the, uh, at the conferences, at Phenomicon, especially last September, because that was in Vernal, people dismiss people coming up to them and they, they, they don't listen to them or whatever. I promise you, please come talk to me. Tell me your stories. Tell me, you know, what's happened to you because what you may think isn't important may be what I've been waiting for or, or trying to figure out where I need to go or what I need to do or what I can do better or what I've done wrong. I'm the first to tell you, I've done a lot wrong. My hypothesis has changed a lot from sure. 10 years ago to five years ago to last year to what are, you know, it's developing what our plans will be in the next coming uh, three months. So um, everybody's okay. information is important. Don't think it's not. Thank you. Thank you, James, for saying that. Thank you very much, because I firmly, firmly support that perspective. I don't feel, and Jenna feels the same way, we don't feel like it's all the names, you know, who know what's going on and no one else does. The names will say they don't even know what's going on, right? This is this is a mystery that we're trying to, un to solve, to uncover, to understand in our lifetime. So I fully support and agree with you in the fact that, you know, the average person on the ground has value with their stories. Oh, 100%. Yep. You know, and that community is incredibly important. And this is why it's so important to create these gathering places online, like Star Family Wisdom, like what you're doing and all the talks and conferences that you go to, right, that you, when you're delivering this information, you're creating community. We're all coming together to, to share and to validate and to, you know, to hear each other out because this stuff is happening on the ground level. I personally feel like there's more knowledge and there's more information on the ground level than what is being held at the highest levels uh, in a way, you know, not the big stories and the big stuff, obviously that's kind of under wraps, but there's so much value that comes from just tracking what is happening to people all over the world with this rising level of, um, I'm going to use paranormal, even though you don't like it, you know, paranormal activity that's going on, because it does seem like they, whoever they are, these other beings or consciousnesses that are around us are making their presence known more and more and more. That certainly seems to be happening with UAPs, UFOs formerly known as now UAPs uh, and, and extraterrestrials that they're showing up, you know, more and more obviously to people all over the world. So do you have any other personal experiences that you'd like to share with our audience 
that help them understand more where we're coming from because I know this orb occurred. And by the way, it's fascinating that it's blue because I just want to mention for the audience that one of the curiosities of Blind Frog Ranch is all the blue that has come up on Blind Frog Ranch, right? There's blue color in the soil and all this stuff that just should not be there. And blue is a sort of across the board significant color for this field. But do you have any other experiences that you'd like to share? Because I feel like, again, you know, these personal experiences and personal stories are kind of where it's at, right? So I'd love to hear more. You know, there, there's something and I might be releasing it soon, but <laughs> I, I, I just, uh, unfortunately, I, I can't discuss it right now because I just want to research it a little bit more. Gotcha. Um, again, it, it occurred three miles northeast of Skinwalker Ranch, and I haven't had an opportunity to go back to the area. Uh, I will tell you that I've now interviewed five people from that area that have seen things running around or in the sky that were uh, fauna, uh, you know, creatures that existed anywhere between 8,000 and several million years ago mm -hmm. in these exact same area. And what's interesting is you're talking about Dinosaur National Monument. Vernal is dinosaur land. Uh, Bottle Hollow Reservoir has a dark, massive serpent that has supposedly caused drownings uh, that could easily be connected to the underground system, which has water. It would be blind and dark because it doesn't require light down there. There's all these tie-ins to uh, the high strangeness um, but yeah, so I, I've ha had one other really amazing experience and, and maybe next time, uh, sure. but, but I, I, love, I, I, I really, I want to follow experience. up. Yeah. <laughs> I want to follow up on the area, uh, prior to discussing that. that so, yeah, I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave that there. And, <laughs> and like I said, the UAP was just, uh, incredible. Um, wow. I, I, I did have. Uh, and interesting, I was at an abandoned NASA site, which is 16 miles east of Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, we had just uh, hit the area with GPR. There was uh, cavities underground and some large metal objects, which I believe were seismic uh, detectors from uh, when it used to be USGS, the US Geological uh, Survey location. And, and that gets into a whole nother thing about this massive underground array that I don't think was pulled out in the 1960s. But anyway, wow. the story going into it is uh, I was on the phone with uh, another investigator researcher, Ryan Skinner, um, from that location when a Black Hawk helicopter with uh, what looked to be two uh, military personnel came up uh, from uh, the canyon below up and, and were just hovering there. And I was on the phone with him um, while this was taking place. I was like, hey man, if I go missing, <laughs> make sure that you, 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 know, you, you tell them where I was, what I'm seeing. And wow. he stayed on the phone with me until they went away, but they just stayed there hovering for probably a good three minutes. So I, I found that interesting. That was the first time that I had ever been out to that NASA site. Right. And so, why would a random helicopter just. Yeah. The areas of interest to, uh, yeah. to a lot of people, uh, you know, private or other. 
Yeah, and I know you're working with some uh, military or former military people who would also be able to recognize that these things are not exactly normal, right? That's yeah, not normal. normal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I love the air of mystery, James. You're adding, you're, you know, the, I can't <laughs> not on purpose. It. I promise. Yeah, of course, of course. But you know, it's it's uh, you're bringing integrity right to to your work, and so I fully understand why you don't want to talk about things that you're not ready to talk about before you feel like you've thoroughly investigated them, and I appreciate that a lot. You know, I. I would take that anytime over information that's loosely given. So thank you for being honest about that. So let's go to what you are working on now and where you're going next, because I know you're a constantly curious person who wants to yep. keep pushing the boundaries of what you're doing and discovering new things. So you've got something exciting that you've been working on. We were chatting about it just before we started recording. Can you tell our audience what they have to look forward to with your work? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I have gotten three pieces of new equipment. One is a dipole GPR system that uh, can penetrate the ground in multiple frequencies, which means uh, I can go down certain depths at certain uh, resolution uh, to down to 80 feet, which is unheard of. Uh, what we're used to seeing on TV is about eight to 10 feet. Uh, also, I have a new... A metal detection unit that can go down to 26 feet where the average is 10 to 12 inches oh my gosh yeah and a new 3d ground imaging system which is capable of penetrating 40 meters into the ground which is uh, 131 feet so imagine what we're going to be able to show the public because uh, you were there when i presented some of that 3d imaging i wanted yes. people to see what it looked like and it's intense what it's you're capable of doing it's incredible um, and what's this going to do? Well, when we find these sites that I'm 95% know exist, uh, I'm 95% certain I know exists, excuse me, uh, provide that data, actual data points. And, and so we're going to be uh, in June coming up, up in the Uintah Basin and the Uintah Mountains at multiple sites that one of them just shouldn't naturally exist. Uh, it, it, it's, it doesn't look like anything else within hundreds of miles. Wow. Uh, so what it's doing there matches oral tradition of, uh, of the ancient uh, desert archaic people. Um, and, and, and it's highly ties into people of great stature or large stature. And I'll leave it at that on that part. But okay. so we're going to be on, on the basin. We're, we'll uh, be at certain ranches, uh, collecting more data, um, interviewing and talking to some more people that uh, we just didn't have time to chat with last summer or when I was there in September. And I'm going to be going to Mexico uh, at the end of June and July to certain sites that Unfortunately, I've had very few people talk about it or discuss it. And, and, and you're talking about ancient, ancient history that goes way back probably to proto-Olmec time before the Olmec, which current anthropologists and archaeologists believe is the oldest culture civilization from Mesoamerica, which just isn't true. We have this well-known proto-Olmec cultures that were probably seafaring or other whether that be aerial, that their mm -hmm. capabilities were, uh, that we'll be looking into those sites. Um, in Some of them are actually in Mexico City in some really nice varios. 
wow. but just you know nobody's looked any deeper into the ground because it would have required back then to dig or to drill and we don't have to do that anymore mm-hmm. um and then i'll be going to other locations in mexico between july and march of uh, 2023 um we're gonna look into the huelos de alisco artifacts which are the ancient alien artifacts that uh have been coming up um 99.999% of them are, are currently made. They're recent makes, but there are four of those artifacts that have me perplexed. I'm not sure how they exist. So uh, I, I'm really interested when I'm stumped at how something like that is possible. Wow, uh, wow. So much what they're showing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so those are... Uh, that's what we currently have. Um, I'm going to be speaking at the Contact 2022 Sedona uh, on the 21st of this month uh, from 10 to noon. And that's going to be uh, completely about Skinwalker Ranch. So I'll give a lot of detailed information about that. Terrific. And then we, you know, I talked about the UFO Disclosure Symposium, the 27th through the 29th, where I'm going to give I don't think they even know what's coming because they probably think it's going to mostly be on on the basin and it's not. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you're going and, further out. <laughs> yeah, I'm going farther out. <laughs> and, and then um, when all this craziness subsides, I have to get to uh, Armenia, to the old sites out there and uh, to East Turkey. Um, I was wondering if you were going to focus on Turkey, because I know there's been some stuff arising in Turkey that's very interesting over the past couple of years, especially. Am I right about that? Oh, look, Gobekli Tepe is taking us 15, 20,000 years back um, that the anthropologists and archaeologists are willing to accept that date now. Uh, I still think uh, uh, locations in Bolivia, Peru are even older. Uh, And I'll hold off on that too until uh, all this craziness. Well, and the craziness subsides because it's really difficult right now to get in and do what you really need to do. Uh, Got it. Do you mean uh, under pandemic conditions? Is that what you're saying? Right. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yes. Yeah. Traveling is definitely different for that reason, for sure. So, um, so you are going to be doing some talks. All the, all the details that you just mentioned and the events you just mentioned are in May of this year. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, uh, May 21st, we'll be on Skinwalker Ranch. I speak on the 29th at the Disclosure Disposium in Vernal, Utah, and that'll, that's going to cover the technology and the material that's been hidden away or still needs to be collected. And then uh, the second Phenomicon is going to be September 8th through the 11th. I'll be speaking there again, and I'm going to be discussing all the new research and data that we're collecting this summer. Which I promise you, if what the initial data showed from July of last year, uh, oh my gosh, it, it's it's going to be amazing what's underground. So I, I'm I honestly hope that comes to fruition, and it's what we we think it is. I love that. I love your excitement and your passion and the enthusiasm about it. It really does come across and it gives us a lot to look forward to in terms of this very juicy information you're hoping <laughs> yeah. to uncover. 
you know, and I agree with you, it's incredibly important for us to understand our human origins. So let me end today, because we're wrapping up right now, um, let me end today by asking you, why do you think that it's, it's important for us to have this information? How would it change our lives, our world? You know, what is the reason, if you were going to boil it down to one, um, just because we're almost at the end here, what would you say is the main priority for us understanding this information? What's it going to do for us? Yeah, it's going to move us forward. We've been stuck in this rut for hundreds of years. Um, and the powers that be don't want us to leave that. So something incredible has to occur uh, all at once to where it can't be stopped. Um, and that data has got to be made public for people's eyes to open up and see that we're not the only um, intelligent life that's been he just here on the planet. You know, I, I don't go into aliens or, or extraterrestrials a whole lot because I think what was here, we haven't even touched upon or who was here or who is still here or what is still here. And guess where they are? If they truly still exist, they're underground. They're inside just elsewhere where, uh, we have to come into contact with those individuals again. Or, you know, we, we were talking about um, this layers or this interdimensionality, and that's the other possibility too, is we don't have to look too far. It's already here around us. We just have to figure out how to see it and interact with it properly. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. I mean, you're making me think of Sasquatch, for example. Sasquatch, <laughs> uh, you know, is an inner earth being, apparently, who is a guardian of earth, and they can, they can disappear or appear at will. So yes, there's lots of incredible stuff to look forward to. And James, I love how you just talked about that actually because of the metaphor of, uh, you know, how as humans, we are so trained to look outwards and to be outwardly stimulated, right? Like consumerism, television, media, jobs, whatever. All this stuff that is outside of us distracts us from ourselves. And so the fact that you're saying, I'm not really tracking ETs, I'm tracking what's right here at home. It reminds me of the importance for each individual person of focusing on what's happening inside us and not being so distracted by what's happening around us so that we're disconnected from ourselves and what we can know. So on that note, thank you so much for being with us today, James. Oh, it was a wonderful conversation. You bring such a grounded approach and I love how you blend the so-called paranormal with the factual, <laughs> the research and the evidence, the science, because that really is where we are, we're at now. We're living in such an exciting time where the so-called woo-woo and the so-called real are coming together and intersecting in ways that are validating information in such an exciting new way. So I, I'm like you, I hope that we can catch up and we can use you know, this new real information to help ourselves progress. And I really appreciate that you brought this conversation to our audience because it's, it is so important for us to think about. So thank you, James, for being here yeah. and you're welcome back anytime. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Oh, anytime, anytime. We'll have you again. So thanks everyone for listening. I'm going to sign off. We will see you on the other side next time in our next episode.